Hello, and welcome to the Friday Night Nicktoons podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Casey. Last week we did an episode featuring Tito from Rocket Power, and we had a great time dissecting some of his wise and ridiculous sayings. And going along with that theme, we put out our weekly Twitter poll asking whether you guys felt you were more of a pineapple or a coconut. And 65% of you guys voted for pineapple, so thanks for everyone who voted. (laughs) This time, to celebrate our 10th episode ever, we have a new kind of show for you. We picked three formula-breaking episodes that stray from the typical format of the episodes within their show. We'll look at Spongebob, Rugrats, and for the first time ever on our podcast, Avatar The Last Airbender. Thanks as always for tuning in. Now let's get started. Our first episode is the Krusty Krab training video from Spongebob. That's season three, episode ten. This one is definitely a formula worker. It's literally the training video or formulated as a training video for the Krusty Krab. So you're watching it as though you're a, a future employee learning all of the rules and the regulations of the Krusty Krab. It's really, really an interesting one. And I want to, Ashley, I want to come clean right now and fess up. Um, Those of you who have been with us um, nine weeks ago now, wow, man. Yeah, Um, I I know what you're going to say. I would like to retroactively change my most quotable Spongebob episode that I selected for our second ever podcast episode. I initially selected Band Geeks, which is an incredible episode, but I'm just looking at all my notes from this episode, and... we re- you can really just put the transcript of this episode into our notes. Like it's so ridiculously quotable. And I I chose what is the name? Um, Club SpongeBob. Club SpongeBob. Also, again, phenomenal and more quotable. All right, all right. Than Bandies, but I will still agree, <laughs> and I will I will swallow my pride and say I do think this is more quotable than that, which is saying something because it was so much more quotable than Casey's episode. Well, but if we are <laughs> if we are picking this one as the most quotable, it kind of voids the entire competition, right? Okay, if we but, both but lost. Like, this is still that puts mine in second place and yours in third, and I think second is still better than third. You know what? We're just going to come off of this because it's still a sore <laughs> subject for me. Let's just remember that uh, I won the quote off. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it starts out this episode, and even the opening credits are, are stylized as though it's a training video, which I thought was great. Like, it's got the training kind of generic kind of music, and everything is just getting you, like, set up as though you're you really, as though you were just hired by the Krusty Krab. It's, it's always a, been my dream. It's a little triggering for anyone who's worked in some sort of, like, corporate drone environment, because it's got this, like, canned elevator music, and it's like, oh my god, we have to deal with this. But it's also exciting, because it's like, what is Spongebob the show gonna do with this concept? You know, it's so different than any other episode in its run. Yeah, and it definitely does does bring you that same feel of, here's the, here's the really basic steps where you're like, and I, I feel like, it's got to be a little bit less directed towards just children because kids didn't have jobs where they would have to watch these kinds right. of videos, right? Maybe the closest thing you could get is those terrible, like, science videos and stuff that you'd watch in class. The, oh, hey, I didn't see you there sitting by the fireplace. Like... <laughs> <laughs> so you could, they can sort of get it from that. And I remember sort of understanding what the general oh, yeah, yeah, vibe yeah. was, I think you know? It, it, rings a little bit more true as you're older. Absolutely, absolutely. And we we go through this sort of history, which is another thing that happens in these kinds of things, where you, you learn the history of the company that usually you just could not care less about. Yeah, yeah so we, uh, we find out that Mr. Krabs started this company after the war, which yeah. is really the vague. Thing they, say, they show him like looking depressed, sitting on this bed, and it's just like, after the war. <laughs> so we know Mr. Krabs is a veteran, but what war, and how, why did that inspire him to start his own business? 
it's like an FDR thing, like, go out and revitalize the economy. Like, I don't think that's what it was about for Mr. Krabs. Cause he, yeah, he I don't has... think Mr. Krabs cares about anybody's economy other than his own. And we see that even when he's a kid. He, he does the old tie a string around the quarter trick in the vending machine to get a free soda. Yeah. Clearly no but, uh, character growth over time with him. But apparently, you know, after the war, he, he feel like there's a retirement thing called the Rusty Crab. He paints the K on, which I always thought was weird, too. Like, oh, it's the Krusty Crab. That's a much better name for a restaurant than the Rusty Crab. Yeah. Like, really? <laughs> I guess just to have the uh, the alliteration. Which still... always makes restaurants do better, of course. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Probably why the chum bucket's not uh, not working. Oh man! And then, do you want to talk about this brick moment? Oh god, it's that's a classic. I don't remember exactly why he starts saying it, but you know, there's the narrator going like, "Sounds like a lot of hoopla." It's this little minnow guy off screen, and it pans to him, and the narrator from off screen throws a brick at him. Straight at his head, too. It's pretty pretty hard. It's an instant KO. Yeah, he's... And the narrator's like, anyway. The narrator, too, just his constant... His constant presence is... Is really well done. It's amazing. There's some... Not exactly... I don't know, third wall breaking, but but what would you call it, Casey? How, like, they can hear the narrator? Yeah, so it's called, it's the fourth wall, because, like, you picture a proscenium, like a stage, you've got three walls around oh, you, but the wall. audience is the fourth. It's been a while since I've theatered. <laughs> no, same concept, though. I guess if you were in, like, a triangular room, it could be a third wall. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but... They, yeah, so it especially happens with Patrick, where Patrick walks in as an example of a typical customer, which is amazing, because the customer Or as we like to call it, the customer. customer. And Patrick starts, like, quivering and going, uh, hello? Who is that? And then, uh, the narrator has one of my favorite lines from Spongebob ever. He goes, like, precious, precious blood in an animal. Patrick starts visibly shaking. (laughs) It's actually kind of dark, but it I feel like... <laughs> saying customers are the lifeblood of the, the corporation, of the restaurant, but Patrick just hears this disembodied voice talking about about blood, and he turns to Squidward, and he's like, Squidward, I think your ceiling is talking to me. Yeah, it's... Uh, but there's, there's just so many things going on in this episode, and definitely, definitely unlike any other episode, but... Oh, it's something. It's, it's something. And I, I think you can't talk about this episode without talking about what I think, as a kid at least, I thought was the funniest thing that ever happened. And that is when the narrator describes to us <laughs> what poop is. <laughs> poop? The, this poop acronym changed the game in terms of how hard I could actually physically laugh as a kid. It wrecked me. I was... Just so unprepared, and I mean, it is still like just a poop joke, right? But it but is clever. It's it's less like it's not like a gross poop joke. It's just right. It's just the word poop. I don't know. It's the word poop. It's a satire on those ridiculous acronyms that you have to memorize it's when you work great. at. Uh, really, and for those of you who don't know, and by the, that I mean like people who have apparently just never cared about SpongeBob at all. Which why are you listening? <laughs> like. Just kidding, we love you. Uh, it, it stands for People Order Our Patties. Which also, just somebody had to come up with that, which I think is great. I just love, what relevant information does it teach? <laughs> like, oh, when are you ever, true. like, there's a work emergency. Oh, people order patties. Like. <laughs> I, I guess it's just, you know, to remind you that they order food at the restaurant that you're at, which is uh, pretty stunning. Because, like, never would, if someone walks up, like, with we have this example where Patrick walks up to the cash register, the screen pauses, and the, the narrator says, do you think... No, no, no it's you, not Patrick. It's a, it's a random fish. It's a different, you're right, it's the, the green fish, the one that's... Patrick, Patrick becomes relevant with poop later. Right, sorry. right. No, thank you for keeping me honest. The, this random fish comes up, and the narrator goes, Now, do you think the customer will, will order A, a sofa, 
B, an expensive haircut, or C, a patty. And he says, one patty, please. But even in that example, SpongeBob didn't have to know that. Like, he was going <laughs> to get to it anyway. I guess because he, he would tell him. <laughs> but you're never going to, that's bad customer service if you say, hey, you're going to order a patty. They'd be like, I'm going to order whatever I want. And if I want a patty, make me a patty, you know? <laughs> you know, maybe poop isn't the most useful thing that has ever happened, Casey, <laughs> but it does almost save Squidward from the situation where Patrick is sitting there trying to decide what to order. You're right. You're right. And then he's like, hey, why don't you order a Krabby Patty? That's true. That's true. That is but a good counter But even so, he, he could say anything in the menu, and I think Patrick would have agreed to it. Right. So. Right. No, I guess that is a fair counterpoint. But how many customers are going to be as dumb as SpongeBob or as Patrick, you know? I, I guess would hope not too many. I hope that the IQ of Bikini Bottom is... <laughs> A little bit higher than that? I don't think it is much higher. It is probably slightly higher. So you know, we, it, it's, it's okay. It's a good joke. Yeah, it's, it, no, it's a great joke. I think that's part of the humor, is that it's completely ridiculous. I, I don't yeah. think it was supposed to be useful, because those acronyms never are, you know? And, I mean, considering the things that it offers up are a sofa or an expensive haircut, I, there's <laughs> definitely a constant um, awareness. Yeah. So then we get into hygiene of the employees. That's the next segment of this uh, this episode. And we have a moment that still makes our skin crawl today. Um, SpongeBob has like a boil or a blemish on his nose, and the narrator says to make sure you remove any of them. And he takes a pair of really sharp scissors and just snips it right off. And he leaves it's, the base, and it's horrible. It's like, I don't know why, that that joke has got to be just, it's just so gross. <laughs> It was it, really just so gross. It would be better if you popped it. Yeah, I don't... I don't know. The hygiene moment in general, he also, like, washes his hands until they're gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're just, until they're physically not, gone. I don't know. But, but there is, um... After that, there's the moment where they say, let's see what Squidward's up to. And he's literally just, like, sitting in the bathroom with a magazine or something. <laughs> and... The narrator makes the comment of, remember, no employee wants to be a Squidward. And I mean, I think I think we've all just, anyone who's worked any job anywhere has worked with a Squidward before. And it's the worst. Well, uh, frankly, both Spongebobs and Squidwards are intolerable. That <laughs> like, is true. Like, you want to be able to put in a mild, uh, not a mild, but the amount of effort that's required without, like, dragging down everyone around you or plowing through them you know what I mean like no one wants to work with someone who's so hyper enthusiastic on it all the time because it either makes you look bad it's just taking it way too seriously and messing with like the work environment I don't know I'm not a fan of either but I'd rather work with Spongebob's than Squidward's that's for sure oh definitely I mean at least Spongebob's too they they pick up the slack I I feel like I mean I worked retail once upon a time and you you would have like these these other people who would just do nothing and you would feel like and I guess it's not like it was a huge deal you know but you'd still just feel like you had to do more right to make up for how much nothing some other people were doing so at least at least with the Spongebob's of the world they're getting things done yeah yeah that's true I I worked at a theme park, and at theme parks, you definitely see both plenty of Spongebob's. Because you've got the people who just eat, sleep, and breathe roller coasters and are just so excited to be working there, and they're cleaning, and they're giving great guest interactions, and they're so high energy. And then there are the people who sit there and push the button with their hand on their chin and just want the day to end. And... There, there were days when I was both of them, you know, but... Oh, I think that's valid, too. There are people that live in either of those types, and it's it's too much. And and I think both of these characters live very much within each of their respective uh, elements there. But it rounds out the Krusty Krab to be a somewhat competent establishment, you know? It's good that SpongeBob is behind the cash register, that he's, you know, in the back making everything, and Squidward, um, because I think SpongeBob would overwhelm a lot of people, and Squidward will just sit there and take your order. He'll be kind of a grump about it, but he'll do it, you know? Yeah. Also, I mean... I think it's pretty impressive that an entire restaurant runs on two employees. Yeah, that's one of the greatest conundrums of SpongeBob, is how does it run 
with three people ever there. And Mr. Krebs never actually does anything other than take the profits and, I guess, supposedly give out paychecks. Otherwise, I don't know why Squidward, at the very least, would be there. I guess he's ordering materials and stuff. Like, they have to get their supplies and everything. Yeah, I suppose. But at the same time, like, he's clearly not sitting back there making business decisions. It feels like he's just, like, looking at his money. I'm pretty sure there are at least... At least three scenes, I'm willing to bet, where you walk in on Mr. Krabs and he is just counting money. Yep. <laughs> so that must mean, in Krusty, the Krusty Krab, there is a discrepancy. Here they say it closes at 6. It's in the history section. They say, this, this great establishment didn't happen overnight because the restaurant closes at 6. Which is a great line. But then, in the episode um, with the hash-slinging slasher, the graveyard shift, they say that it closes at 8. So there's an interesting mm-hmm. kind of... And then they, you know, 6 would be really early for a restaurant to close, I feel like. I'm currently in the middle of nowhere right now for a month, and uh, you'd be surprised how many places are only open until 6 specifically. It's so okay, strange. See, I'm, I'm coming from Spain time over here. <laughs> and, Where everything's open really late. And No, like, restaurants wouldn't open until 8. Whoa. Like, you wouldn't go out to dinner before 8, but this is also, it's culturally very different. We don't need to get into all of and this. And then, yeah. We're, we're getting really far off track, right. guys. And then, and then in New York, everything's uh-huh. 24-7, which SpongeBob, oh, which Krusty sure. Krab tries to get into a little bit. So that's, that's that was just an interesting thing I saw while looking up a fun fact, which is SpongeBob-themed. You guys are going to love it. Stay tuned. Oh, it's, it's good. It's good. It's our best which, one. We should also... Um, See, what, what other sections have we missed out on? There's oh, one, one more. Of Mr. Krabs. Interfacing There's with your moment, boss. A short one. The interfacing with your boss, yeah. And they show, like, an electric chair in the background. <laughs> and it looks like it's set up in Mr. Krabs' office, too. It's, it's, it's a little unsettling, to be unsettling. honest. I don't know if they're implying that, like, interfacing with your boss is just, like, a death sentence, or, yeah. To the point that it's, yeah, like, literally murderous. Yeah. Which, pretty much the, the that entire section is SpongeBob just says, "Can I have a raise?" No, and right. that's, that's that. So they're really clever in terms of making this episode not just a bit episode. They give us some plot where Plankton comes in and steals the formula. A literal formula-breaking episode. Am I right? Uh-huh. Am I right? Uh-huh. <laughs> we and we have Let's another layer of that that I'll get to at the end. It's just a good episode. It's so good. Oh, I have the same dude. So Patrick, or dude same, I need to stop doing that. It's hashtag wrecked and it's dude same. The, uh, so Patrick is, uh, or he goes, I'll have one Krabby Patty, please. And Squidward goes, uh, is that for here or to go? And immediately realizes his mistake of asking Patrick this question. He goes, oh, and starts to fall asleep. And Squidward starts slamming his head repeatedly on the cash register. And that is my current dude same, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, I think if I had to deal with customers like Patrick, it would also put me in a similar state. But sometimes, sometimes in life, yeah. we've just got those moments. You either die a SpongeBob or live long enough to see yourself become a Squidward. You know, and I think that is true, and I think we've discussed this before. You, I, I do feel myself, not all the time and not 100%, but I do side a little bit more with Squidward than I ever did as a kid. But they're both terrible neighbors. They're both completely oh. inconsiderate. Yeah. SpongeBob with his excitement and joy. Yeah. But I feel like as a kid, I was just like, why is Squidward always so, you know, unwilling to be a part of all this fun? But, like, right. if I have to live with... SpongeBob constantly being the 100% excited kind of person that he is, I would certainly be tired as well. Right. Do you want to bring us into this last awesome moment, Ashley, the vocal fanfare? Yes. yes. The, well, for, they uh, open up this segment with a really amazing fanfare that I, I wish I could impersonate for the... Duh. That's pretty much it. Yeah, 
I think that's it. I, that's I think I shortened it. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen this episode too many times. Uh, but he, he, and then he says, making a Krabby Patty. And of course, this is this is what we're getting really excited for. And throughout the episode, too, SpongeBob constantly says, like, can I make a Krabby Patty now? Yep. Can I make a Krabby Patty now? And so now we're here. We're at the moment. And, you know, he he talks about how big of a deal this is. And he says, you know, the secret formula for the Krabby Patty is... It- and the episode yeah. ends, and I'm still upset about it ten-some years later. It's, no, more than that, like 15 years later. Man. And, I mean, it's it's clearly one of those jokes, you know? It's, it's, you're never supposed to know the secret formula. But I really thought we it, would. It's the same thing as, like, um, in Hey Arnold's, Arnold's last name becomes a similar joke. There are right. moments where they, it'll get, like, cut out or, you know, whatever. Or Timmy's or, parents. Or, um, Timmy's parents, yeah. And uh, I remember there's, like, the moment in one episode where it's like, my name is, and then a car runs by. Yeah. But you can call me Dad. <laughs> you can call me Timmy's dad. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, this is all around you know. just an incredible, incredible episode. The The ending makes me furious, but I love it. They trolled us so hard. And as a kid, like, I mean, now as an adult, I can recognize... going to be another joke like I really thought it was going to be like something silly that would be like oh haha that's all it is you know and, pl- and then Plankton never knows that could have been interesting if it was just like salt you know right. <laughs> or something like that but instead it's just we just can't know that would actually be really it's funny just... if any of you are good with like YouTube like give us give us a, a shop a co- like a, a compilation of what of if you could edit that video and add something to it that would, that would make my day um, that would actually be pretty amazing. Yeah. If anybody wants to do that, I will give you nothing other than my joy. But we'll my you, joy is a pretty good prize. How about if you actually do it, we will do an episode based on the theme that you want. That's our deal. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's more than fair. And we're not going to tweet about this, so we'll, we know you were listening, too. All right. I think, I think that about wraps up everything about this, though. Incredible episode. Probably the most quotable episode of Spongebob. Pretty much every single line is hilarious. And just the concept in itself is brilliant. It's all great. It's all great. So quotable. Rendering our quotable contest irrelevant. That's all we have to say. Bye. Next segment. Our next segment features an episode from Rugrats titled Home Movies. This is from Season 3, Episode 11. After being inspired by Stu's home movies of the Grand Canyon, the Rugrats begin making home movies of their own. Ultimately, the babies create far more entertaining films than the adults do. Yeah, immediately this, this episode starts out with them. Everyone's crowded around to watch Stu's Grand Canyon videos, and it's horrible, really. It's so He's boring. Like, Packing for when we went to the Grand Canyon. And this is us getting into the car for when we went to the Grand Canyon. And just, but it's me goofing around before our trip to the Grand Canyon. Like, <laughs> the worst home movie I've ever seen in my day. Why are so many dads like that when, like, cameras became bigger? It's, it was such a 90s dad thing to just record everything on a little tripod. And... I, I mean, I think part of it was... You could, you know, yeah. it became affordable, and it was just exciting to be able to have yourself on video, yeah. because that wasn't really a possibility, or at least not an affordable one, and and so I, I just think some people, I don't know, I think some people, and you still see this today, think that their lives are more interesting than they are. Yeah, it's like they, like, make a podcast <laughs> and think that they're interesting <laughs> enough for people to listen to them. <laughs> uh, but, but, I mean, like, you'll, you'll see people... Posting things on Facebook yeah. today, too, where you're like, like did, did anyone yeah. ask? Yeah. Anyways, anyways, and, uh, and I, all the family members there are making these jokes about how terrible it is, and uh, is that, it's, it's Tommy's grandpa, Yeah, Tommy's right? grandpa. 
he um he's on the phone for a brief moment. We see him and he says, "Hello, Doctor Kavorkian," which. If, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Kevorkian was this doctor known for um, doing and illegally uh, assisted suicides, which is just super dark. So dark. For show. That he's like, he's implying, in case it isn't clear, like literally death would be better than watching these home movies. Which, to be fair, they're rough. Yeah, they are they're really rough. bad. And then the babies but, are hearing all the adults saying home movies, and Lil goes, maybe home movies is when you move to a new home, like Susie did, which is so cute, <laughs> home movies. <laughs> they, they have, and I think this is one of the things that really makes this show great, is all of the misunderstandings. I, I forget who says it, but somebody says, maybe it's Chucky. I think it's like, Phil. Maybe it's when your house gets up and starts moving like it's alive. <laughs> Yeah, the writers on Rugrats, I think, are some of the best writers for Nick. I'm sure they're some of the same people, but I think it's one of the best written Nicktoon shows in terms of just yeah. getting those. Because it could be cringy, as we've seen with Rugrats preschool days. Still mad at you guys about that, by no, the way. Really. Hold on, hold on. Real quick, real quick. I, I think I might have already said this before, but if you voted for preschool days, can you please tweet at us at <laughs> underscore podcast? Let me know why. Yeah. It keeps me up at night. Me too. I don't understand. I, I think about it every because day. I not watch the show and you just picked it because it's Rugrats. I just don't. I just don't know. Yeah, it's not. It's not good. But, which is surprising because Rugrats captures that kid vibe so well. Really incredible. Incredibly just, it brings you back to a lot of the misconceptions you had as a kid. Absolutely. You know, you, the, there's just nothing that makes you think it's not logical. And, uh, right. Angelica, Angelica comes in and she says, like, oh, no, you dumb babies. It's, it's when you sit around and you watch movies that you made. And then they, they're like, but, but why? She says they have to. It's the law. <laughs> It's that classic Angelica, like, she's right a little bit, but she's also completely wrong, and she's yeah, so she's, smarmy she's about older, it. So she's got, she's got some more knowledge that they don't, yeah. but still not, not there. I was gonna, I was gonna reference preschool days, but it's not even worth bringing up. <laughs> I was gonna say, with that teacher that she has when she goes off to preschool, it makes sense that she is uneducated on a lot of things. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the teacher was rough. Okay, so do you want to get into the concept? So after after this whole discussion, Angelica says, "You know, let's not let's not stay here. Let's let's make our own home movies." And what we end up going through is through three different segments where we see drawings that are kind of narrating, like that the kids took paper and chalkboards and whatever, they're using crayons and chalk, and they're, they're just drawing their stories of their lives, and it's, it's really cool to see, and I guess these were actually, some of them at least, or maybe like the original drawings, that, not the animation itself, but were done by kids, and so it's, it's cool to see the way that uh, without seeing the actual characters interact, we still get this really interesting storytelling of it's really cool. It, it fills me with the same, like, creative joy that watching the Lego movie gave me. Of this, like, ah, oh, like, limitless potential, and it doesn't matter if you're good, and just go out and create and do it. It's, oh, it's, it's really got a great message, and it's, it's so cool to see the different artistic styles and the way the kids talk about them. The babies, really, they're not even kids. Yeah, and uh, we, we see three, like I said, three of them draw, and it starts with Angelica, then Chucky, and then Tommy to end it. So I guess we'll we'll talk about those in that order. Yeah. Angelica starts out, and she's got pretty, pretty standard drawing ability, yeah. I think, for her age. I'm not exactly sure how old she's supposed to be, but, you know, like, more or less stick figures, but you can tell that they're people, clearly. Right. And she Except talks her about dad. how she wakes up every morning, and her dad gives her all the food that she wants, and her mom is on the phone. She goes, get me money. lots of money. I, <laughs> I need money so that I can buy things for my daughter. Yeah. And they just, she That's just goes the... on about being Angelica, more or less. Totally. And it's, it's like, fine. It's cute. But it's got this, like, holier-than-thou, like, I'm-better-than-you-babies kind of attitude. And then Chucky draws his... 
and it's so cute. He he draws. He's looking. He's talking about his family, and then he talks about how he goes over to Tommy's house, and it always makes him happy. And he draws Tommy as a superhero. It's so cute because we see how much Chucky looks up to Tommy, and then and he draws Tommy, and Angelica says, "If that's Tommy, then I'm the Queen of English." <laughs> <laughs> also, also uh, another great line that I liked was that. Uh, um, right before Chucky goes up to draw, she says, Chucky can't draw his way out of a paper bag. And Tommy says, why would he want to? <laughs> <laughs> this is this great moment of him, like, not, yeah. not understanding the reference and, like, just not understanding. <laughs> Tommy's so literal, and it's amazing. Uh, but uh, it, it's actually pretty well drawn, I would say, too. Yeah. It is just really sweet. And he, he talks about how Tommy you know, beats up the monsters and Tommy keeps away all the bad things and he says, and sometimes we go to the kitchen and Tommy doesn't fight anyone. He just gets me snacks because he's my friend. Oh. It, it's just so cute. Oh. And then, I yeah. Think, I think this is another thing. We, we referenced this in uh, Hey Arnold, but I think this is another one of those male-to-male friendship things where it's not weird at all. Like, no. It, it's just treated like... I don't know, like, normal friendships, and we definitely, I, I think it's an issue that happens with people, more so when they get older, but still. Right, and it shows us that, like, when we're babies, we don't care. You're just, like, buddies with everyone, you know? It's, yeah. It's, it's nice. And then we go to Tommy's story, and he goes, I don't have all my motor skills yet, which is <laughs> cute and self-aware. <laughs> which is, is very true, based on his, yes. his artwork. But honestly, I think this might be my favorite of the three, because of how... Just how interesting of a storytelling it was! It so it was so moving to me. I was like, no exaggeration, like almost brought to tears by it. Like he's just pouring his heart out with these scribbles. It's like clear, great storytelling with just different colored scribbles. And when he draws Chucky, he he draws a red squiggle, and Chucky goes, "I look like that," which I immediately was like, "That's me every time I open Snapchat, and the it's facing me." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh God, no!" <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he draws. He's like, "And in the morning, my mom gives me my mush," and he draws a squib scribble, and someone goes, "That's mush," and he goes, "No, that's my mom." <laughs> it's, just, it's just really cute. I think at the very least. I would recommend watching the episode, but at the very least, I'm sure you can find some screen captures of this somewhere. Look them up just to see the animation style. Because really I, cool. I just thought it was so cool, the way that this was done and the way that this this segment was told. Like you said, just you can kind of make out what it is. He draws like Phil and Lil, and uh, Lil has a little pink blob on top, making mm-hmm. it the bow, so you can tell you know, right. who's there, but... It reminds me of Gerald's Legends, uh, the, 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 the change in tone that happens when they start their stories and the different animation, kind of a similar concept, but for a different purpose, obviously. Yeah, and I also just like the way it, it shows clearly kind of the, the place that each of these characters is at, personally. So Angelica, you know, she, she sees herself as kind of the, the queen of the world. Chucky, too, I, I remember the beginning, he... Everything looks really scary to him. Like, the birds look more like bats, and everything looks scary until Tommy shows up. And and so, like, you, you just see, like, the way that their perspective is. And Tommy's kind of got this simplistic, but not in a bad way, perspective right now. Because, yeah. you know, he's a baby, but he has this simple but pure kind of view in the world. And mm-hmm. it's just, I just like the way that it's done. It, it's really, really a great episode. It is, and then they come back to the home movies, and the adults all just look pained and miserable, and, uh, yeah, it's just a great episode all around, totally different than the format of most of these shows, especially because these these animations were actually drawn by real kids. Yeah, it's, it's, and, and the parents, the parents end up finding their drawings, and they're all, they're all so proud of them, which is good to see, too, they're all is. like, oh, these are really good, like... That's, that's really impressive work, and I, I don't know, it's, it's just like a sweet moment where the family's all getting close together, not because of the terrible home movies, but because of these much better uh, home movies yeah, that they made. it brings the family together, for sure. Alright, I think we're all set with this episode. When we get back, we're going to move on to, for the first time ever, Avatar The Last Airbender. 
This episode is from Avatar The Last Airbender. It's called The Ember Island Players, and it's from Book 3, Episode 17. And real quick, before we start the segment, I want to put out a really big spoiler warning. We will be spoiling a lot of the show. Basically the entire show. It's an incredible show. I recommend if you plan on watching it, which you should if you haven't, don't listen to this, because there's so much information from the show that we will ruin for you. And there's a timestamp in the description if you want to skip to the end and catch our Twitter poll and other fun stuff. But what this episode is, for those of you who are prepared to hear everything we've got to say, is basically um, Sokka finds out that there's this group called the Ember Island Players, and they're debuting a play based on the adventures of Team Avatar. And this is basically the end of the journey of the entire show. This is the last episode before the set of finale episodes. So this is basically a, a show that they watch that summarizes the rest of the entire show. And it's, it's them watching this kind of third party's version, the Fire Nation's version of what has happened. So this is a this is a fantastic episode. Right off the bat, I want to say the 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 sh- the play is called "The Boy in the Iceberg," which is I think such a cool and interesting title for the, the story of their journey because that is how it all begins. Yeah, and I also thought it was interesting that it's not inherently negative sounding. Yeah, considering how hated he is mm-hmm. by them. The boy in the iceberg doesn't necessarily sound, you know, it doesn't necessarily sound like it's going to end up being a negative propaganda, but we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there. Basically, it just starts out, they're all sitting around, and they decide, yeah, let's go, let's go see this play. And I, I also thought it was funny, they mentioned that they got their sources from a couple of places, including a surprisingly knowledgeable seller of cabbage, which, <laughs> for anybody who watched the show ever... Obviously, you know the My Cabbage's meme that goes on. Yeah, so we, uh, I'm excited about this episode because I get to just, like, let my theater geek fully out and it'll actually be merited and not put on like it usually is. <laughs> we did get our fourth <laughs> wall thing in. I, you I, brought I, that I, up. Do you think it's cool that they, they have to come up with kind of the, the tech aspects of this show? Do you know what I mean? And they have to draw them in or animate them. Yeah, and it's really yeah. smart the way they work in the set and the costumes, makeup, all that, and it's this whole thing is done in a really interesting form of Japanese theater called kabuki, where everything is really, it's like opera but spoken, where things are really performative and acted over the top intentionally, um, and it's very transparent, and it's very beautiful and elegant, and that this play is very much in that style, which is so awesome. Um, we have we have caricatures basically appearing of the entire gang, and they have mixed opinions on how to feel about the way they're being portrayed on stage. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, we start out with Aang is portrayed by a girl, which he's obviously just not the most pleased with. <laughs> Katara ends up being like over the top, really, really over the top of this emotional mess that she is. Yeah. And I, I would say Sokka's biggest problem is that his character has these jokes, but he's like, I'm way funnier than that. Yeah, and it's true. I think Katara's characterization is really unfair. She's probably my favorite character in the show, though, so I'll bet I'm biased. But I really think she's more no-nonsense than they make her out to be on stage. They portray oh, her God. as this sobbing, <laughs> weeping, hopeful, like mess of a person and I really think she's more pragmatic than that but that's how they were told she is at least I think sure she has her emotional moments but definitely I would I would agree with that she's she's perhaps the most far off yeah she's, she sits there and, uh, after Aang breaks free from the um from the iceberg she's like it's an airbender it just gives me so much hope <laughs> It's making me tear, Ben. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, a great line. Everything she, they all, everything they say is in service of their tropes within the show. So Sokka's always making some lame joke about, I'm starving. It's very, like, shaggy from Scooby-Doo. And yeah. Aang is this whimsical little, you know, woods creature. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I think it's out of his character that he's so upset that he's played by a girl. I guess he's in a, like, pubescent time of, like, like 
really self-conscious about things like masculinity and like his voice is really high and stuff like that so i could see it striking a nerve but i mean i think i think that's part of what i like about the show is that ang is this you know he's the avatar but he's very flawed yeah very flawed and uh very much and not to his own fault entirely Mm -hmm. he's young and i think they they do a good job of him noting that struggle too uh, of him having this this constant battle of I also just have these young kind of you know anxious issues that I know aren't the biggest issues but they, they still matter to him right while he also has this huge weight of needing to be the person that will pretty much literally save the world hey, he has to save the world and everyone he knew and loved is dead and gone. Uh, and how do you how do you even get out of bed after something realizing something like that? Let alone, you know, save the world. He, I think, Ang is a fantastic character, and the fact that all these characters are so complicated is what makes this one of my favorite TV shows of all time. There's no simple character in this show. No, it, there's the the character writing is truly phenomenal, truly, and it's just I I think there's. Pretty much every character you maybe not sympathize with, but you you at least can relate to on some yeah. level in at least one scene. They, I they even all have understand these, Azula. These, uh, Azula's uh, she's amazing. She's terrible, but she's amazing. One of the most interesting characters ever. I you can't when she's on screen, you can't just like zone out or not. You know, like you want to know what she's up to and what she's doing. Uh, and, and before we get too off yeah, track, yeah. I know we could go on about um, the show forever. Um, let's let's get back to the. We'll get into Azula when she when we get yeah, there yeah, in the yeah. play. Yeah. And and uh, I would say there's there's also this interaction between Zuko and uh, Iroh, <clears throat> and it's actually really accurate. And Zuko gets all upset. He's like, "That's not like me." When pretty much it's just Zuko being like. I need to get my honor back for my father, which is very true to him yeah. early in the the series, at the very least, and probably most of the series. Yep. Um, and then skipping ahead, because I'm stuck on Azula, and this is relevant, we have another honor joke later in the episode, um, where yeah. Azula comes in, and she goes, oh, what's that over there? I think it's your honor. And uh, Zuko goes, Where? <laughs> and that really is Azula and Zuko's relationship. She's always throwing him these bones that are completely lead to nowhere, but he buys it because he's so desperate for redemption. And I think I think we agree that that's the uh, hashtag erect yep. moment. I think it's this, your honor. This, <laughs> uh, just erect. Oh, really, man. though, really, just he's he's so obsessed with this honor idea. For a long time. Yeah. Uh, so they go again, on. I don't. I don't want to get too far into just the getting really excited about the complexity of characters, but Zuko too. Oh my god. Incredibly well written. Oh my god. There's that. There's this one line that is relevant to this episode because they capture this scene in the show where Zuko comes back to his uncle and they're teary and they're emotional. And Zuko goes, really? Like, you'll take me back? I thought you, I thought you were, uh, I thought you were so angry at me. And he goes, Zuko, I was never angry with you. Or he says, I was never angry with you, Prince Zuko. I was sad because I thought you had lost your way. And every time I see or hear that line in any iteration, it just hits me in such a deep, visceral place that that Iroh has this capacity for compassion, knowing that he used to, you know, he pretty much enacted this genocide, right? Like... He was, he was a fire lord, a fire nation general, and it took the death of his son to make him into the like humbled old man that he is. And even he has a problematic past, and he's basically Jesus on this show. <laughs> I, I I just think, God, God, and and we could we could go on. Yeah, the Ember <laughs> Island, the Ember Island players do not do him justice one bit. He's just this no. bumbling old man. And I think part of that is that I mean this is still being told from the perspective of the Fire Nation. And, and he's a traitor I, by this and, point. Yeah, he's, he's a traitor yeah. to them at this point. You know, he was he was a guy who used to be a great general but decided 
not to be on their side anymore. And to turn the prince against the the crown, you know? I think it was chiller when Zuko was just an outcast, and now he's an active rebel. Yeah, and... But, but it is interesting, I think, to see that, sort of, how, how they're portrayed, and we'll, we'll get into it with the ending, but not quite yet, and to, to tell that the Fire Nation wants this story to look yeah. well. And there's also this moment, relevant again to, to Zuko and his uncle, is that there's this moment where he turns against him and he says, I hate you, uncle, you smell, and I hate you for all time. To clarify, this is within the... The fire within the emblem, play. The Ember Island players, not within the actual show. Mm-hmm. And and at first it's kind of a funny moment, you know, because mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. And uh, Katara turns to him and says, did you really say that? And Zuko says, I might as well have. Oh. <laughs> and it's true. He was Ew. so cruel to him and Uncle Iroh was so... Resi- he was clearly hurt, but not angry and so compassionate and amazing to Zuko as a human being. It's, and it's because he saw the Zuko that we get to know by the end, the entire time. Zuko's transformation is a surprise to us. It's not to Uncle Iroh. It's who he sees in him from day one. Honestly, it's... Uh, his, his entire faith in him is just so, so great to it's see. Beautiful. Too. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And we, so what's cool about this episode is we, it's kind of, it's a scary time. Is the comet's coming, they're at this point of, this is it. This is the make or break. We have this brief window, and we have to act. And we get this break where we get to really see what this journey has been like. And they could have just done like a, like in Friends, it felt like every two, every half a season they would do a clip episode where they just show clips of what's happened. And this was such a creative and interesting way of helping us relive the journey. Absolutely. And it's, they, they also do a good job of not lingering too long on anything that's not too relevant. And I also like to, to mention a couple of times the, the, the show kind of pokes fun at itself. Like, uh-huh. the writers are, you know, being clever. So there's, they mentioned The Great Divide, which for people who have seen the show definitely uh, have has been a big, big divisive yep, it's a, uh, episode of the show. It's a literal divide. And they, they, they are, like, flying and they're like, oh, look, it's The Great Divide. Let's keep flying. And they just ignore it. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they just don't want to bring it up. <laughs> like, it's, it's not worth it. It's, it's almost like the writers saying, like, okay, maybe it's not relevant to the plot. And I, I actually do still like the episode. I love it. I think I think it's the one episode that you could argue is the least relevant to the plot in any way. Yeah, like, yeah, I would agree. Think, or this one, I, you know? But this is a great that's episode. True, that's true, but, but yeah. they can't, yeah. It's a little, uh, it's a little preachy. It's a great episode, I think, but it does get a little preachy and a little, uh, yeah, it's just a strange, sudden moral lesson that I think is great and interesting, but for people who weren't looking for that, I could see why it was a bummer. And then, and then another moment that they similarly recognize themselves as, or, you know, poke fun at themselves is, uh, Jed is there, <laughs> and he gets, like, covered by a rock, and they say, did Jed just die? You know, it was really unclear, which <laughs> it was. is exactly how it happens in the show, basically. You're, you're not really sure if if Jed is supposed to be dead or not. It's, yeah. it's pretty ambiguous, and I, I just like the way that the writers are able to bring that into this. Yeah. And then they get to uh, Sokka and the moon spirit, Yuki, when he has to ultimately leave her to replace those fish spirits, the yin and, yin and yang thing going on. And Suki goes, I never knew you dated a moon spirit. And I can't believe he never told her about Yue. He never told Suki. Because no. they're so close and they're so in love. Casey, Casey, you never mention exes in the rule. I, mean, I guess. Standard but, thing. They're going to come up, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe you would be like, you know, I kind of dated the moon, but right. like, she's <laughs> That's the moon what I now, mean. so like, it's okay. Right. Got nothing to worry about, but I mean, maybe, maybe you just didn't think it was appropriate. You it know? sets a lot of pressure on her too. <laughs> like, I'm literally, I literally dated a celestial body, like, and now I'm dating you. Like, that would put me in a complex. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine if somebody if somebody were to tell me, you know, my ex is actually the moon itself. I'm, I'm sure there would be some issues I would have with that. Right, so I get why. And he's, pro- he's probably still processing it, too. so much as I'd be like, yeah, crazy. But, I mean, this that is a too. different world that right. they live in. But Suki know? accepts it, when, and she thinks it's some, like, cute joke that they added or some, like, inaccurate thing. And you can tell there's, like, a, oh, boy, well, I guess we got to talk about this soon. <laughs> Oh, man. And I do like that, and we, we see this, this episode plays a lot between these lighter moments and sort of the, the darker moments. It, it plays on the things of, you know, like that, where they have this kind of funny relationship joke, and then they play with uh, Iroh and Zuko and him recognizing how poorly he treated him. And mm-hmm. it, it just goes between those two lines very frequently, and pretty seamlessly as well. And very well. There's there's another hilarious moment. So we, the whole time Toph is laughing at them, because Toph doesn't come in until season two, and she is la or book two, and she keeps... Which ends up being the second half of the show. Right. Act two. Right, yeah, so we're in, we're in act two. Um, and we'll talk about what happens at intermissions of the show, because we do see some character development in the present. But... Anyway, Toph is just loving all the ridiculous characterizations of her friends. And you think she's going to get what's coming to her. Katara's like, just you wait, just you wait. It ends up, Toph is this huge, muscular man who has this deep, booming voice and is, like, so powerful. And Katara's like, doesn't feel so good, does it? And Toph goes, are you kidding me? That's perfect. Yeah, she ends up just thinking it's phenomenal and... I also, there's, so, you know, Top obviously uses her feet, you know, the ground to, like, feel the vibrations and sense where people are, but they, they got a little bit of their uh, fact-checking wrong, it appears, because the, the Top in the, in their play, he's like, he says, yeah, I, I can see people using a sonic what, what does he call it? A them? sonic wave I release from my mouth. And <laughs> He just, like, shouts at them, really. <laughs> and then he, he's like, yeah, I got a pretty good look at you. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's so unexpected and so blatantly wrong. <laughs> and Toph actually sees through her feet using her earthbending and her, like, attunement to the earth. But it's sort of a similar concept, but such a great joke. And, uh, yeah, we see the drilling scene into Ba Sing Se when they try to, you know, they try to stop Azula's siege on Ba Sing Se, which is an incredible scene. Um, yeah, we have the jet thing, we have the I hate you, uncle. Oh, when, when Aang, we have to talk about Aang for a second. Aang is this, like, girly, dancey, like, wood spirit, and whenever she, in the show, uh, goes into the Avatar state, she goes, Avatar state, yep, yep! <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did like, though, um, so to make the Avatar state happen, they kind of showed, and this is another one of those stage elements where they made it sort of literally plausible, mm-hmm. and she has, like, glow-in-the-dark eyeshadow, and she closes her eyes to make it look like her eyes are glowing. I just thought that was, like, that was a smart idea. Yeah, really that cool. That should be done as a show that could work. And I, they, they have to make know. it look fake, too. The animation also, is great. I want to go back to the very beginning. I just yeah. we didn't mention We it, have to I, talk I about this. Uh, Aang in the show, I, 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 I think Aang is, she says something like, oh, look over there, it's food or something. <laughs> and then there's not. And then she's like, did I mention I'm an incurable prankster? <laughs> <laughs> It's so good, because it, one, it, it drives home Aang's insecurity even further. It's that kabuki thing of, like, here's what I am, and I am going to tell you, because that's this style of theater, is here's everything I am, you know? <laughs> I'm an incurable prankster. Such a great way to characterize Aang. 
maybe maybe now's a good time to talk about intermission. About real life, yeah. So Aang is very upset by this show, not just because of oh, his own and actually, portrayal. Specifically in the show, she uh, Katara in the show, like the show version of her, says something along the lines of I love you like a brother. I love you like a brother. And then I think they also before intermission show her with Zuko? Yep. Or is that later? They do, because there's that brief moment where it's it's during, before one of the intermissions, and okay. it's clear that the show implies that Katara and Zuko have a thing, which they briefly consider, but never happens. And yeah. Aang is devastated. But Aang is just, you know, pretty much in love with Katara and just doesn't really know how to deal with it because there's the, the whole difficulty of their relationship, and it is complicated, and it is... You know, it's just a hard and. Yeah, they're both figuring a lot out. He's sitting there upset, and Katara comes up to him and she she talks about how she's confused, and he takes that moment and decides to kiss her. Yeah. And uh. God, and that's after he said she. He says, "Why can't like why can't we just be together? We kissed in the cave." And I thought we were going to be together, and now we're not, and I don't know why. And she says, we're in the middle of a war, and we have other things to worry about. And she's clearly upset about that, but she knows that she she has to be the brains here. She can't waste her time right now. If things work out, maybe later. And uh, we, we do see that happening uh, in the finale. But uh, for now, she's just tor- so torn and I like that this I, show doesn't make it about a love story, but it's a part of it, you know? Like, it's a dynamic. I, I think I think it's just valid, this this kind of thing where she feels guilty almost. Yeah. For even thinking that this is important. And I think I think that's something that, you know, is, it's easy to have happen in a lot of situations where you're... You're like, why, why am I caring about my personal emotions right now? There's a war. There's all this important yeah. thing. But you can tell that she's still struggling with the fact that she still does care about it. And uh-huh. she doesn't want to right now because she knows that there's other things that are important. But she is still human, you know? And when he kisses her, she leaves devastated and goes, why would you do that? And they go back into the play and she's clearly so distraught. And it's important to note at this point, Katara is checking on Aang because he left during the middle of Act 2. So she comes outside to make sure that he's okay at intermission and then he comes back in and it's the rest of the play is really hard for them to sit through. And then, But what's funny about the top of Act 3 when they're sitting back in the theater is... They just push through, uh, so Aang and Katara arrive late, and she goes, what did we miss? And, and Sokka basically goes, oh, just like the stuff we just did. <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny, because we don't need to see book three. Not replaying the things that you just watched. Right. And it's smart to divide it into a three-act play, where each, each act is a book. And, uh, yeah, can we talk about the bending for a second, too? Yeah, sure. I think the bending is so cool in the plays. They use, like, cloth, and it's it's done really artfully and beautifully. Yeah, I would say... It, it, I don't know, it's just the creativity of them to really think of a way that it could be made into a play. Like, mm-hmm. these things could be done, and, and definitely the, the way that the fabric moves and things. I could see it being a beautiful play if it were ever made into one. Which maybe let's not allow adaptations of this show ever. Yeah, again. I don't want to risk it. I don't want to risk it. Get me a new show with the Earthbender Avatar after Korra, or get me a show about the first Avatar. That's what I want. But no other adaptations besides TV shows until they get it right. Because, I mean, there is no movie, but I imagine that there's a chance if there were one, somebody might really mess up. Really bad. Right. Anyways. So then we get to the end of the play, and they they get to the most recent events, and they're like, okay, so what comes next? And Zaka goes, nothing, we're here. Like, what more is there to do? And then yeah, we the see... The play, and they're like, but it's not. We see the most important part of this episode, and I think the reason it even exists, is we have this dark... Um, and it's, it's suddenly when they realize, oh my god, everyone in this auditorium wants us dead. And Fire Lord Ozai makes an appearance. He fights the Avatar, and Fire Ozai and Azula win. And they give it a huge standing ovation, and the play is this huge success. And it's terrifying because they're literally about to go face to Fire Lord, 
in the coming days, and they're watching their worst nightmare play out in front of them. That's hard to not get in your head as you go on to continue that adventure. And especially considering you recognize there are so many people who want it to end like that. They, they've spent most of their time, you know, in their own respective nations and, you know, Earth nation and whatever, like, where everybody wants them to succeed, more or less. Everyone mm-hmm. they've been encountering is, is, you know, hoping for them to do well. Or a small and group of bad guys, but this is the public. This is yeah. like a large group, and it, it's indicative of a whole society that hates them. And they're, they're already concerned that they're up against more than they can handle, and now they're seeing it play out. It's like the reverse of that positive imagery that some people do, like picturing yourself making free throws before you go to bed and stuff like that. It's the opposite. You're seeing yourself choke and completely blow it. Yeah, and it's, it's also, I think it's maybe one of the first times that they're recognizing how real that could be. Mm-hmm. You know, once once you see how truly distinctive a possibility it is that they might not succeed. It's terrifying. Terrifying. So And then they they all leave and you can tell too there's there's a mood shift in all of them. They've kind of been making these jokes about like, Oh, you're portrayed like this, you're portrayed like that and they're all just sitting there just feeling miserable. Yeah. It's it's here we go. It's time now and and they're like, that play was terrible, which is funny, yeah. too. There's one more moment I want to highlight, Ashley, and that's Sokka. We talked about his jokes being really lame. At one of the intermissions, Sokka goes backstage and gives the actor playing him a bunch of notes, and Sokka's like, oh, great, fans always have ideas. And he looks at him, and he's like, wait, these are great. Who are you? And Sokka's like, just a really big fan. <laughs> or just a really big fan of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Not even of himself. <laughs> Like one of the one of the lines he gives him. Jokes. Yeah, and Sokka's so excited about it. The coming things, yeah, and and Sokka gets he's just super pumped. Sokka's you know he's one of the more easy to please people I think in his his adaptation. He's a great character too. They're all they're all so. Yeah, I mean, if we're gonna list off all the great characters in the show, we could just look up characters. Yeah, the whole characters. Yeah. Um, truly, definitely. We'll have to get into the show more, and I think me and Casey have a couple of ideas of how we might look into the show more in the future, but I think this this episode just does speak to the tone of the show. It's definitely still a formula breaker. It's definitely distinct, but you still see that balance between the serious and the comedy that you see throughout the whole show, and it, it brings out all of the main pressing events that have happened and that are coming, and it, it does a great summary. Yeah, it's brilliant, and it's perfect to give us the momentum we need going into the finale of here's what's happened, here's where we're going. I think I think that about sums up my thoughts. Is there anything else you wanted to add? I'm good. I think we've talked plenty about this, and I look forward to digging more into Avatar as the show goes on. This is a great, great to break it out for our 10th episode, I think. Absolutely. So uh, stay tuned, and we'll be coming in next with our fun fact, our Twitter poll, and our preview for next week. Now, I know you've been waiting ever since the Spongebob segment for our mysterious new fun fact of the week. Uh, this is Spongebob-themed, as I said earlier. So when Mr. Krabs pl- picks up Plankton in this episode to flick him out of the restaurant, Plankton's sped-up voice, if you slow it down, you hear him saying, Felicitations, malefactors! I am endeavoring to find my minions, and I know just how to speak their language. And if you go all the way back to episode two of our show, which we also talked about... <laughs> Uh, for other reasons, that was one of my favorite quotes used in Plankton's Army, an entirely different episode. So why, several years later, they decide to use this audio, not even use it directly, but adjust it slightly? I have no idea why this happened, but I found multiple sources. I listened to the video myself. It's... it's crazy. Yeah, I, that one... honestly... I've got to say, i got to hand it to Casey here. I think that might be my favorite fun fact yet. That one actually was stunning to me. It blew my mind. Yeah, I just stumbled upon it by chance researching the episode. Uh, and try it out. Go look up this great YouTube video that shows it. It's so funny. Yeah, so continuing forward, our Twitter poll, pretty straightforward this week, is just, would you rather have A, a sofa, 
B, an expensive haircut, or C, a patty. And you can find that um, on our Twitter, which is at FNN underscore podcast. And make sure to check us out, like us on Facebook, which will be live tonight just after the release of this episode. And feel free to interact with us on Reddit if you're into that kind of thing, FNN underscore podcast. Next week, we will have a slightly more serious episode as we look into the family dynamic of Hey Arnold's The Patakis. We'll look at each family member and their relationship to Helga. And I'm honestly really thrilled about this. If you've listened to any of our show or I guess at least a decent amount of our show before we we have a really big thing going for Hey Arnold and I think the Pataki family is my favorite dynamic to look into so really looking forward to this one that'll be great thanks as always for listening and celebrating our 10th episode with us it's been so much fun and we hope you're having as good a time as we are we'll see you next week